If you think you could never be vegan, you're in the right place. And if you think there's something big that you would really like to do, but it's probably too late, you're in the right place. My name's Michelle Olander. I think there has never been a more important time to move in a vegan direction. So I'm here every week to cheer you on as you veg your best. Episode 162, When Vegetables Aren't Vegan, a conversation with Erin Riley from Cabbage Hill Animal Free Fertilizer Company. Well, welcome back, my Veg Your Bestie. Welcome back. And if you're new to Veg Your Best, you're very welcome here. Today's guest, yeah, she had a very different route on her vegan journey than I think most of you have heard. And I think even if you know quite a bit about industrial animal agriculture and the many reasons we might want to limit or eliminate the consumption of animal products, I think you'll find what she says not only new, but very powerful. Erin Riley is a Los Angeles-based urban farmer. She owns an edible landscaping company. She's a master gardener, a licensed landscape contractor, and more recently has developed her own vegan fertilizer company. That company is called Cabbage Hill, and she developed it after finding out that what she thought was a more or less wholesome organic fertilizer to nourish plants, which in turn nourish our families, well, she found out it was actually made from some of the most disturbing byproducts of decidedly non-organically raised animals. That realization ended up with Erin going vegan and creating a vegan fertilizer. Erin Riley and her company, Cabbage Hill Animal Free Fertilizer Company, they are on a mission to raise awareness as well as to create an alternative. As Erin says, one fertilizer can't solve the world's problems, but it can do its best. Inclusivity, transparency, sustainability. Well, that's what we talk about here at Veg Your Best. So without further ado, Here's Erin Riley. Just so you know, there's a lot in this conversation. So we're going to definitely, definitely have her contacts and links in the show notes. So don't despair if you can't keep up with all of it. And I'll catch up with you on the other side. Erin Riley from Cabbage Hill Animal Free Fertilizer Company. Welcome to Veg Your Best. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. You know, the other day I saw you had a post on your Instagram and we're going to have all of your links in the show notes, but on your Instagram, you said that you can remove some of these huge leaves from cucumbers. And I was like, now you tell me October <laughs> or late September it was. Now you tell me because behind those huge leaves, you don't, I miss some of the cucumbers and then they get enormous with all the rain we've had here in New England. And I'm like, that is good to know after all these years of gardening. Yes, I love a garden tip. I've had a vegetable gardening business for 14 years, and I absolutely love a vegetable garden tip. I think the more informed we are, and some things are like right in front of our nose. 
And also we don't have that passed down generational knowledge like we used to have. And then I think there's even like a little gatekeeping going on sometimes, like people might want to sell a book, for example, and be like, I'm not going to say anything until you buy the book. I like to kind of let it all out there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Because I thought for sure that if I took all those beautiful green leaves, I'm obviously not all of them, but if I took a bunch of them off, it would not be great for the plant, that it wouldn't be able to absorb the sunshine. Yeah, that's what, and that 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 post, the reason you saw it in September is because it was shared so much. It was still like, because I think I posted that like in April. And uh, so it was still going because so many people commented on that. Now, I've had so much trouble growing cucumbers that I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And pollination, it's always the fertilization. Cucumbers and squash, they need, and the tomatoes, all of it. You have to somehow, even no matter how many bees you bring to the yard, you have got to get out there and do it. And so if there's too many leaves, I don't know if the bees can't find them or if it was harder for me to pollinate. Because if I take that paintbrush and just hit all the cucumber, you know, like with a big squash, you can be like, there's the male, there's the female. On the cucumber, you're just going <laughs> to, we're just going to take the keys and everyone's staying the night. And we're just going to do all the things <laughs> to the cucumbers. And just somehow, I think also the more energy gets poured into the single stalk. That's the other thing I'm learning about gardening. And I've been doing this for 14 years is, you know, and you can do either way. You can not prune or you can prune. But the single stalk growing where you take all the runners, all the side branches and almost all the leaves off. And then everything gets poured into the fruit. And it seems to work. No, I'm 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 definitely on it for next year. I've made all kinds of notes to myself, and I didn't know we we're going to talk the sex lives of cucumbers today. But this is <laughs> plants are all about sex. They are not unlike us. <laughs> that is great. Well, that's great. So I, you know, we're going to start today. We're going to talk about your vegan journey. But first of all, what the heck? How are vegetables not vegan, Aaron? Oh my God, it's so distressing. So I would make my own fertilizer as part of my gardening business because then I could control like per plant or per time of year. And of course, just really got down into the wormhole of it all. And so I was handling the inputs, right? And also just like to save money, I could order all the inputs in bulk and then change them around. And handling those inputs in bulk and then also handling, I did a lot of school gardens and so, you know, one of the things you do is put the fertilizer in the kid's hand, right? Because they're going to be, the, they're getting their hands dirty, they're gardening. So I'd put a little fertilizer in their hands. And so I'd tell them what was in the fertilizer. Now, I didn't let them know what was really in fertilizer. I let them assume it was poop. That still got the ooh factor and would get them engaged and, you know, they're sort of excited to garden. But over time, right, like the ooh factor was like, or an ick, it became an ick factor because these aren't, it's not poo. If only it was manure, we would, I would do anything for the manure of old. It is not that. These are rendered carcasses because it goes into blood meal, bone meal. There's also poultry meal, feather meal, leather dust, any kind of remnant left behind is somehow made into organic garden fertilizer. And oh, again, it just took a long time because honestly, I, it's quite hidden. It's quite hidden. And just to put these pieces together was very shocking to me. And I didn't start off as vegan. This whole thing drove me vegan. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I, at that point, just had to really change things around. And I started making a vegan fertilizer for clients that I had who were vegan. And then eventually I just had to do it for myself and turn my whole business uh, plant-based fertilizers. Uh, so got rid of all the animal byproducts and found that I could use plants uh, to provide some of the nutrients. And the thing about animal byproducts is they are cheap, 
and they are effective. I mean, you know, vegetarians, vegans know this, you know, meat is nutritious at least, you know, at the very least it has verifiable nutrition as did those fertilizers, but that doesn't mean that it's okay. I don't think anyone wants animals dying for growing asparagus. Like that makes no sense. So I was really lucky because, so I was doing all this research into fertilizer. I'm just became like, I don't know, obsessed. And when I was looking at like hydroponics, I was looking at all kinds of ways of gardening. The hydroponics, obviously growing marijuana, you know, the hydroponic industry has exploded. And with that has technology has exploded. And they have figured out ways because of the filters, the water has to move through in hydroponics, right? They're these little tiny filters. So all the tubes don't get clogged. Meat really can't pass through that filter, no matter how much you grind it up. So they had to use vegetables or plant residues, right? So they it can be soy, corn, alfalfa, especially the stuff that's obviously grown on moss. And they can, that somehow could be rendered down enough a plant to pass through the filter. So I used their technology just for, with a different lens. And so I began using those same kind of formulas in my vegetable gardening and it worked out great. So I have a soluble version because that's the kind they use in hydroponics, right? It has to be soluble. And then the one I have also, I have a dry granular one, the one we're more accustomed to, you know, that you use at the beginning of a season or for side dressing. So uh, yeah, so, and then, so plants deliver some nutrients, but then minerals deliver the rest. And those are already, you know, non-meat. Um, so with the use of minerals and the plants, I was able to get the same value of nutrition that they were getting from the animal products. Most fertilizers have those three numbers and I can never remember the order of them. So what are those? Yeah, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, NPK. Mm -hmm. Those are the macronutrients all plants need. Some people would also add calcium to that guy. And we do know if you're a vegetable grower, how important calcium is. So calcium sneaks up there, but like, so I do organic gardening too. That's the other thing. Like if you get confused, since this is such a new issue, you know, kind of unheard of, um, Synthetic fertilizers are vegan, obviously, because they're made of chemicals. So sometimes I see people advertising their fertilizers as vegan, but they're synthetic. So you're not taking anything out of the equation anyway. It'd be like vegan plastics. Well, duh. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I don't need that. <laughs> you know, we want a natural organic fertilizer and one that's like sustainable. How is it that organic is linked to one of the biggest industries, the, you know, reasons for climate change? Organic gardening, that just doesn't make sense to me. That also just bugged the heck out of me. Yeah, so the NPK. So nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and calcium. So because these are natural ingredients, for example, phosphorus, there's actually a worldwide phosphorus shortage. And um, that has to come only from mined ingredients if it's going to be non-animal. And obviously mining comes with its own environmental problems. So I'm not like... I'm not saying this is the solution to all problems, but my like Kickstarter is going to start in November. I want to keep the research going. Let's focus on plant-based solutions because they got the animal-based solutions covered and no one is going to put research into a plant-based solution when the money, you know, they're already making money hand over fist over here. So as are the organic, like everyone's in on it, you know, the certifiers, the organic fertilizer companies, the renderers, big ag, like that's all the same thing. So I just want to provide an alternative lane where we can maybe look at plant-based solutions. And that includes like to the mineral issues we're going to be having. Because again, if we can't grow food without destroying the planet, uh, 
um, maybe don't have, we don't have to worry about it. We should start drinking because I just, you know, <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah. And I assume that um, many of these animal derived uh, parts of fertilizers are unnaturally cheap because this is a subsidized, um, these animals are, they're byproducts of a program that is subsidized in our, in our country, animal agriculture. Uh, whereas some of the things you're using probably are big broccoli, big kale, big, <laughs> big alfalfa. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. But for sure, you know, the animal ingredients you know, those just are not sustainable. And, and like you said, there is like all these weird ways government is subsidizing that, that I'm also uncomfortable with. Even worse is, so this whole industry is called rendering and that it took me a very long time to be able to find the words. Cause again, it's all hidden. And so in fact, they call rendering like the quiet industry or the silent industry or the hidden industry, but they don't, they don't say that with any irony. <laughs> but I would. Um, so that the quiet industry, the one we know don't know about the rendering when they call themselves recyclers, if you look at any, why would you look at the literature? But if you look at the literature, their own literature, they're upcyclers, they're recyclers. So they're positioning themselves in relation, of course, to stuff like organic fertilizer to say, Hey, this is full circle. This you'll hear them say, this is how native Americans did it. Oh my God. Um, I don't think they did. <laughs> um, not on the scale, right? Cause we're talking about scale. We are not talking about a family farm that uses their own poop or slaughters their animals and renders them. Down. We're not talking about that. We're talking about massive ecology changes and that farms are creating. You know, it's just they're they're feeding animals to animals, which you probably already know somewhat. Like so this rendering that happens, part of that goes back to livestock feed, a, a huge amount of it. And that's just fed back to the animal. And then that animal is slaughtered, made back into feed. But I'm just saying, it's not done once. It's done over and over and over. And that same product is organic fertilizer, the same product. They make it into cattle feed, feed organic fertilizer, or pet food. But that, that, that thing that's circling around and around, that's what we're putting on our vegetable gardens. It's just... I think too, it's one of those things where people, I, if I was going to be kind and generous, I would say maybe they haven't thought it through. Maybe the people doing this just have not seen the picture like I've seen it. Um, I always tell the story. I used to be in film. I was a screenwriter and AD could never quite make it through that path. That's why I live in Los Angeles. And luckily gardening picked me up and now like I'm way more passionate about that. Um, but I was a screenwriter and I was working on screenplay and I, I, I wanted a character to come from Montana. So I was researching towns in Montana and I came upon this story about Libby, Montana. Have you ever heard of Libby, Montana? It's the home of asbestos. I'll go right to the lead. So they were mining in Libby, Montana. They had this great mine. They had this great town. They had this great byproduct coming out of the mine and it was like a talc. It was soft. It was, there's tons of it. Um, and so they put it everywhere and they put it in under playgrounds. They put it in insulation. They put it in breaks. They put it vermiculite. So vermiculite was this, this uh, from this mine and it went out everywhere, everywhere. They just couldn't get enough of it. It was great. Well, three generations ended up dying in Libby, Montana, the grandparents, the parents, and all the children in one foul swoop, they all got cancer. Cause obviously we know how dangerous asbestos is, but they just didn't know. Okay. So when there was, so that was actually the very first Superfund site, the EPA, the very first Superfund site was Libby, Montana that invented the Superfund. 
And when they had a congressional hearing and they were grilling the industry guys, like, why didn't you do anything? How did you not know this? You spread it far and wide. And, you know, they were just like shrugging. And then they said, like, um, what else have you put it in? You know, and they were like, it's in crayons. And, and they were like, you put it in crayons? Like, don't you think that's, aren't you worried about this, that in crayons? And the guy, the industry guy said, kids don't eat crayons. And every mother, right, leapt to her feet. And this was in the 70s and ran to the toy box and took out. And that's why every crayon says non-toxic on it now. Every single crayon you ever see will say non-toxic. And vermiculite actually also comes with a warning label. And tons of people died. Like nurserymen died. Hundreds of nurserymen, landscapers died because they handled this material unknowing. But about like the crayons, it's like I sometimes maybe the industry doesn't know how things are really used. So here I am putting this fertilizer in kids' hands. Maybe they didn't think that through. Maybe they didn't think that this is going to render with some forever chemicals. You know, maybe it's, you know, mad cow disease is still a real thing. Like the way we're messing with ecology and then we package it in this adorable little bag <laughs> and it's all, you know, rainbows and sunshine. And here I am pouring this stuff into a child's hands without really knowing what it is. And I think everyone thinks organic. If you get that organic certification, you think that means something, right? I, you think it means it's safe. And in no way does it mean that. None of these products, so when these animals are rendered, I'll just tell you what they are. So these are remnants of slaughterhouses, of course, right? So blood meals collected at slaughterhouses, because obviously that's where all the blood is. It comes out. They the all these the animals stand on grates so that the blood comes out and then they just have a just a, a, a tilted floor and it all goes into blood meal. Bone meal is happens when they butcher animals. And and also this is so funny when you, like oh, I started looking into this. It was just so curious. Remember how there used to be butchers in supermarkets? <laughs> or you might have a standalone butcher. You know, it might be like they have a, cut meats and cheeses or whatever. At least, you know, regardless of veganism and stuff, but you know, you had a craftsperson, you had a skilled laborer for that. And I do think we've lost some of that. And I, I think even as a vegan, just in terms of a larger view, it's concerning because even a butcher would have a certain care and appreciation for an animal because it was an art, you know? Now, if you haven't noticed, there are no butchers. You even go in your grocery stores, there's no butchers, very rare to find one because now they butcher centrally. So they take all the animals after slaughter to a central location. People have to stand there and butcher 12 straight hours standing. Hundreds of people just butchering, butchering, butchering because now they come in plastic, right? Now you just have your steak, your hamburgers all in plastic. So now that's all centralized. So they can take all the scraps. They don't have to go place to place. So now they have a central location for the byproduct. So then they can just take all the by. So that's another part of what is rendered down. Everything from those mass butcheries. So the slaughterhouses, the butcheries. Downed animals, they call them downers. If they die of disease or anything else, they die in transportation. Often, unfortunately, left to die, sometimes just awful. Those animals also rendered. Roadkill, rendered. <laughs> animals from shelters, rendered. There are so many different ways that these inputs come in, clearly unregulated. There'd be no way to regulate that. And I'm, you might even know, maybe don't know, especially because it's funny because when we turn vegan, in a way we can turn our back on meat, but we need to keep our eye on meat. You know what I mean? So 
when you think about, so we, I think it was California. I have to double check. There was like a law passed that on meat, it had to say the location the meat was sent from. It's called country of origin, label, cool, C-O-O-L. And so they were supposed to put, I mean, my God, is that the least we can ask? A country of origin on a meat product? Yeah, I'd like to know. Anyway, people voted to have that in. They just took it away. You know, years later, they just do, the government does a little magic and it's just gone, right? The lobbyists come in, the industry representatives come in, they have a little congressional hearing. No one knows this happened. And they just say, forget it. You don't have to do it. So the, the all the meat, we don't even know the country it's coming from. So obviously it's impossible to regulate that if you don't even have to tell them the country it came from. Oh, and expired meat too. When, Cause you know how we fill the supermarket shelves like to the brim and you wonder who buys all that, like how it's never empty. It just, when it expires, they just come pick it up and that also gets rendered expired meat. From countries, we have no idea where. And I mean, it's horses, it's everything. You know, it's not like just cattle or something. So all that gets rendered down. <clears throat> and then when it's rendered, it's pressed down, it becomes oils. So that's what biofuel is, for example, biofuel. And again, the word biofuel, oh my God. The way they take words, and as a, as a writer, I take offense, the way they take words and change them, it's, I find it unforgivable, quite honestly, unforgivable. Um, I don't know. So they take these byproducts and they make it biofuel. Again, what is bio about that? I don't know. Because don't we all think that sounds like a great idea, biofuel? Uh, no, because it just comes from rendered animals. It's just part of a big, also it can come from something called anaerobic digestion, which we're also, is like a whole other thing has nothing to do with fertilizer, but it has how they're taking municipality waste. You know, they're trying to like keep stuff out of landfills. And so they take all that waste and they add like animal waste, they add our waste, and then they make again, like biofuel, but they found forever chemicals in that stuff. Not the biofuel, because they don't test that. But there's a residue left over from the biofuel. And that's, again, the same thing with the rendering. So both of these things, they take the oil out and they sell the oil. The oil is either biofuel or for us, cosmetics, baby. Cosmetics. I mean, I just, I think if women honestly knew it was rendered animals, they'd be like, no, thank you. You know, just saying it's not vegan isn't enough. Like It's rendered friggin' animals that are unregulated on your face. Like, how would you be like, I have roadkill in my $500 skin cream. I don't think so. Anyway, that's what it is. So the oils, and then they take the rest of the stuff, right? Then the, whatever's left over is continued, melted down, pressed, melted down, pressed, and dried. And then it becomes those other things. It becomes um, pet food stock for animals and organic fertilizer. And then when it's the municipalities are doing it and they're putting all of the sludge, all of the sludge in these things, they're making biofuel and they're making garden like fertilizer amendments they even make like little pots like a like pressed this stuff in the little pot why is once again just like the vermiculite why is this being marketed down to gardeners and why are we supposed to be handling all of this material and growing food in it crazy it just doesn't make sense and again that's what all food is grown in you know because Farmers, ag people, because that's where I buy my inputs from, right? I buy my inputs from the people that supply everybody with this organic stuff, whatever it is, alfalfa or bone meal or blood meal or mycorrhiza or whatever it is. They, it's all, they're all buying the same stuff too. And, you know, manure, like I said, is gone. 
Manure was a fairly good material. Um, you know, it's because that's when animals ate like alfalfa and hay, you know, and then when they pooped, it was like this stuff. And then you could compost it for days and it would turn it into fertilizer. But you, the farmer, fed the cattle. You fed it from your own, they grew their own hay and fed it to their cattle. And then the poop from those cattle went back on the fields. That's fine, fine. If only we had manure. The stuff now, when they now they're feeding animals, they don't, these animals don't graze. So they don't eat. They just eat what's put in front of them, right? And that like, it's the animal bits, right? So they're eating these rendered processed animal bits and maybe there's some corn or other stuff in there, whatever. Nom, nom, nom. So they don't poop anymore, manure. They poop what they call like silage. It's like, uh, I mean, they got the shits. It's just liquid, right? Because they're not eating anything. So that can no longer be used for manure like it used to be. So it has to be processed differently. Now, I'm just saying you can see organic fertilizer in the other industries are basically like downstream of big ag's problems. Do you know what I mean? They have a problem. And instead of solving the problem, they create a product for us to use and call it organic gardening. So this silage, this stuff that comes out of the animals that they can't, you know, their stomachs can't process is like a liquid and it's highly toxic. So they go in these big lagoons. So when you see pictures of these pig farms and stuff like aerial views of farms, you'll see these big lagoons. And they always looked weird to me. I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, by the way, disclaimer, I grew up in farm country, you know, the, the, it's a, big farming community, all the Amish are there. So, you know, I have first knowledge, you know, we, the, the manure being spread and how that is like and everything. This, I never saw lagoons. No one ever had a lagoon of shit. So these lagoons are the because of what they're feeding the animals. That's why they have lagoons. So of course they had to figure out how to sell us the lagoon. So that's kind of like uh, the anaerobic digester that the municipalities use. This is similar. So they like tent, tarp, the lagoon traps all the methane. The methane is then pulled off. That's made into the biofuel, right? But what's left, the dried up silage, is then made into organic fertilizer. That also is made into organic fertilizer. I'm how? Yeah. So I'm just I'm I'm kind of my mouth is agape. If people could watch me, I am. Um, how does it get called organic? Because it's what's the rule for that? Do you can you explain that? Just the it's gotten to the point where the certifiers so like every, fertilizer is licensed state to state, um, and this is like I'm going to do like a thousand TikToks and YouTube's about all of this. But the so state to state is how organic fertilizer is certified, and it's very regulated, mostly because it used to be chemical. And as you know, chemical fertilizer storing them. I mean, it's like a bomb. That it yes. literally is. Closer. So you know, they still it's highly regulated. But when everyone switched to organic, which you know, even by the way, the biggest chemical companies that make fertilizer now they just sell animal products. Like Miracle Grow was one of the biggest organic fertilizer companies. They don't care. You want blue crystals? They'll give you blue crystals. You want chicken poultry meal? They'll give you poultry meal. You know, they're just following the trends. They'll just do whatever you want them to do. It doesn't make any difference to them. Just cheap. But, you know, cheap products. So the, all that is licensed state to state. There's also the NOP, which is under the USDA, the National Organic Program. That sits under the USDA. They also are in charge of organic products, but they're not in the fertilizer game because that's state to state. So you will sometimes see an NOP seal 
and Omri, which was like, oh, you know, Omri was supposed to all just fall over their label if it's on the bag. They just take their marching orders from the NOP. Omri is not, I don't quite understand it. They're not like an independent organization. Can I stop you there? What's Omri? Can Can you tell me what that is? Omri is the Girls Research Institute. It's O-M-R-I. And their, their label is considered the best of the best. If you have an Omri label, you're the best of organic fertilizer. But they just take their marching orders from whatever country is being made that fertilizer. What's interesting about that to me is, again, in our country, it's not done federally. It's done state by state. So I'm not really sure why they would take their standard. So the standards have been written by the renderers. The sta standards have been written by Big Ag and the renderers and CDFA. There is a rendering, you know, the CDFA is the California Department of Food and Ag. So that's who licenses in the state of California, for example. And there's a render, you know, they have rendering departments inside the CDFA. This is all run through, you know, this is all food and ag. So they just wrote the rules for what would support big ag. That's all it is. So what you and I consider organic is just, it's simply not. There's just a bunch of rules. Like it can't have acetone or it can't, you know, it's just like very random. And there's just no control over what you can say is organic. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean small farm. Like if they're rendering meat, they don't even know what country it came from. I mean, obviously there's no standard. I, I compare it to, let's say you took in a, a, a piece of meat, like a chuck roast, and you ground it up into hamburger. And then you call the hamburger organic. Like somehow just the grinding <laughs> makes it organic. We all know that isn't how organic should work because it wouldn't work. If you, you could not have organic hamburger if it did not come from organic chuck. The grinding does not make it organic. Everybody knows what we think of when we hear organic. And we're thinking something on the level of, of the same level of hallucination as old McDonald's farm. We, it's something that just doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And farms just don't exist. You know, I think it's so interesting to you look back when we were kids and even kids today, I'm sure they learning farm animals is like the first thing they teach you weirdly. Like pretty weird. And like you, every child can make the sound of a farm animal. Isn't that weird? Like from the very beginning, we're taught, I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me when that's not farm animals at all. That isn't chickens. That's not cows. That's not horses. That's not pigs. They don't get to go oink, oink. We all know that. We all know they're imprisoned, tortured, killed. And then, you know, for me too, I, again, I didn't even start out as a vegan, but to see the way animals were exploited, even after they died, like their memories are exploited. You're calling that organic shame on you. Shame on you. And the lack of transparency is obviously so willful. If if it's fine, then it should be on the label. Yeah. You think you'd know what country it came from to start, I mean, just, just to start. <laughs> so I've been trying to get licensed to the CDFA. I, I started my company about three years ago, turned my company vegan five years ago. Three years ago, I tried to I thought it would be a fairly a slam dunk. I hired some industry insiders so they could get me through the licensing process because, you know, I'm just a farmer, gardener, and they can't get my product through. And it's so interesting. That they're just not going to let it. And, you know, I have not, like you saw that thing I put on social media. I have not posted a lot about this and I still couldn't, like I haven't blown the whistle at all. And they still would not let my fertilizer through. 
they would not let a plant. And I wasn't like vegan, nothing. I was like, just nope, won't let it. Like they saw me coming a mile away. So they won't sort of, they won't license my fertilizer. And I've, it's been years, like $30,000 and just, it's a no. Do they have to give you a reason why? They just wrap me in red tape, you know, like they do. Like it's just send me on wild goose chases. So everything I use is already certified organic because they like, they um, not only are like my fertilizer would be considered a specialty fertilizer, like anyone we use. Inputs are stuff, like I said, like farmers use because they buy it by the ton. And those are organic as well. They're called organic inputs, OIMs, organic input materials. So they're already like kind of pre-certified organic. They've already run through all the hoops. So if a farmer wants to be organic, he can pick this up and know he can use it. So I created my fertilizer just like anyone else does using all those organic inputs. So it's already organic. It's just animal free. I just used non-animal organic ingredients. They're already certified. So it should be a slam dunk. It's, it's already all pre-certified. And they're just like, you have to prove it's certified. And I'm like, but you, you certify. <laughs> so it's just, I've gotten, I think, 60 questions about my six ingredient fertilizer. They're just never going to do it. They're never going to allow it. So is it because, so are you saying it's because by saying it's animal free, it, you're, you're opening up the question by just existing. Uh -huh. You are. Okay. I see. Yeah. So the Kickstarter is going to help me continue to fight that. I've spent every cent I already have trying to do it. So the Kickstarter will like help fund that. And then again, I need a license in every state. I started in California because I live here and it's the hardest state. Allegedly, because they're so, their organic standards are so high. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously I have a big middle finger to the CDFA. I'll have to get a lawyer to help me get this through, you know, because anyone should be allowed if you follow the rules to open a fertilizer company. You know, they that shouldn't be blindsided because I'm choosing to have, you know, I could have just, they could have just let me have my little company and I probably wouldn't be making such a stink, but they didn't. So now I'm here having to go through all this happily. So though. Are you, are you not allowed to sell Correct. your fertilizer? Hmm. Now, luckily I have a landscaping company. So I'm a, I'm also a licensed contractor, licensed landscape contractor. And so through my fertilizer business, I've obviously supplied fertilizer to my clients. You know, I build gardens, it's the fertilizer I use. So it's been used and it's out there. Like there's a hydroponic farm in South Central that I um, consult with and, you know, they use my fertilizer. But again, through my, I can do it through my landscaping company, but I can't put it on the website. I can't put it in a store, any place where a client wouldn't have contact with me. Right. Which is why things are why they have labels and stuff, because when you pick up something off the shelf, <laughs> Johnson and Johnson's not standing there. You know, you, if you get it's got a, the questions to be answered on the label. So the label is like the whole thing. But my label is Mwah. you know, I, the label's good. It should be fine. But that's what the CDFA argues about the label. Oh, we now want the percentages on the left side, not the right side. You know, it's just like endless amounts of craziness. So I can't put where we're, you know, I'm not in contact with the customer, but Kickstarter is a workaround because, you know, that's, it's a donation to a, comp a company, the Kickstarter. And then your reward, if you choose to take it, can be a bag of fertilizer, but I'm not selling it to you. So I'm going to work this little loophole. I gotcha. And in the meantime, all of us who hear about your work, hear about uh, Cabbage Hill Animal Freeze animal free fertilizer company, all of us can start asking a couple extra questions. And as consumers, uh, maybe we aren't able to get 
your fertilizer in our in our gardens this week. What kind of questions can we be asking the fertilizer companies that are in our stores, are in our agways and in our uh, what we order on Amazon or wherever we go for uh, uh, gardening products? Yeah, I think asking what the source, I mean, they're not going to be able to tell you, but I think asking what the source of the fertilizer is, what, what's the source of the bone meal? Where does it come from? But I mean, they're, they're not going to know. You know, this is such early days. Um, again, we'll be able to, we'll be able to get fertilizer into people's hands through the Kickstarter and we're going to have it ready to sell, you know, ready to send out by next spring. So we'll be right on time. And, you know, in the meantime, I love compost and we're going to have a bunch of stuff on the website because I am transparent. So if you can't even buy my fertilizer, you know, I love, I'll show you how to compost. I'll show you how to vermi compost. You can make compost teas. You can make fermented teas. You can grow yarrow. You can grow comfrey. You can grow borage and nettles. That stuff can be made very easily into your own fertilizer. Aloe is an excellent home fertilizer. So, you know, we can even grow your own fertilizers. And that's sort of also where this research needs to happen because I'm sort of forced to use the inputs, the even the plant-based and mineral-based ones, you know, that's still the same industry has created a lot of those, actually outside the hydroponic companies, because those are new, those inputs. They know they created like new technologies. So like they pulled calcium out of seaweed. So they're able to, because that's what you really need for intensive plant nutrients. You know, we can make nettle tea and of course, but that's like a much diluted fertilizer. People who are super gardeners like you and me, you know, we don't mind being out there every week making compost tea, but a lot of people just need to put some fertilizer in it and semi forget it. So we, we need the boost, you know, our plants do need a certain level of nutrition and organic fertilizers. If you ever go to a store, like a chemical fertilizer is like 20, 20, 20, 30, 30, 30. Organic fertilizers can never have those numbers. Chemical, they're able to just write like in a lab, create a level of nitrogen just out of the air. You know, it's synthetic. It's completely man-made. And so they can make a 30, 30, 30. If you're using natural products, which would have to be, you know, organic would have to at least be natural. The, the, the way the plant or the mineral presents is semi-finite right because it's like hi i'm alfalfa i'm a three you can't make it you can we can try to make an alfalfa that's a six but there's levels you know you can only get it within this range but the hydroponic girls and gals like for example we're able to take seaweed take kelp and extract the calcium from it now that is allowed you know that is an organic natural process so i think that's very exciting figuring out ways we can synthesize natural and truly organic products into garden fertilizer, but like these are early days, you know, very early days. So it's, and it shocks me every day that somehow, I don't know I, that no one knows this, but me, it was just, I guess, a little, a little lottery ticket from the universe, you know, just. Well, I think sometimes it's, it's even when people do learn it, they are so overwhelmed and they are yeah. so without thought about, you know, in their busy daily lives, they're like, yeah, but what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You you are placed in a situation where you actually have are taking this on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm willing to step out there and, and take it on. Yeah. So I don't even know what to ask you to. I'm, I'm pretty amazed by this whole conversation. I don't even know. So we can still try to use our own composts. For sure. We can still... Um, perhaps use local manures, even if we're vegan, we may consider 
uh, some of us may have comfort level with taking manure from a, a local farm or a local sanctuary. It's possible that they they sell their manure or give away their manure. Um, yeah, and there's local companies often that make compost too. You know, like there are off, but don't use municipalities. Never, ever, ever use a municipality's compost. Like if they do like a drop, like duh. now that's biosolids. I mean. I don't know how many rendered animals are in there, but that's biosolids. That's literally our own waste. Hmm. I would not use that. I really don't know what's in there. And the Sierra Club did a study, found that there were forever chemicals in that, in biosolids. I mean, I don't, if they want to use it along the freeway, you know, knock yourself out. But in my organic vegetable garden, <laughs> in my kid's schooler, no, not at all. Yeah. So... Hmm. You know, like, well, we're going to figure it out. We're going to get fertilizer into people's hands. And um, obviously it's going to be a bit of a revolution. You know, I mean, hopefully we're going to turn a page here. Uh, they don't just wipe me off the planet, but I can't because now we've spoken and people are going to start posting and we'll get the word out. Yeah. So let us know how we should do that, Erin. What's the first thing we should do? We should follow you on Instagram. Yeah, let's follow me on Instagram, Cabbage Hill Fertilizer. And then, you know, follow the Kickstarter when it starts. Certainly share the stuff, uh, Kickstarter is going to be 11-11, so a nice, easy number to remember. And uh, yeah, let me, we'll just start sharing that and we'll just start raising some money to keep this research going and to get fertilizer in people's hands so they can start growing. And share with all our organic gardeners, our, our enthusiast gardeners, and just people who are going out of their way to buy organic vegetables and pay extra for organic vegetables from farms where it's probably impossible to think that their fertilizer was anything we want on our vegetables. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean that, I think farmers markets, that's always the best place to have a chat with a farmer, you know, and yeah, that's the best way for sure. I think that's a great thing to encourage people to do is to ask at farmers markets, you know, like what their fertilizer is made of, if they've ever heard of plant-based fertilizers, if they've ever considered it, you know, what it would take to have something like that. So I think that's a great idea actually to talk to people at farmers markets too. I like that. I like that engagement, you know, yeah. So many of us are going to all this effort to try to do the right thing for our ethics and for our families and for our own personal health and for our ideas about how to be sustainable or a little bit a little bit kinder to our planet. And to think there's this massive non-transparent thing nobody wants going on. Yeah. Feeding back into the industry we're trying to separate ourselves from. Everyone thinks organic means small farm, obviously. Obviously, that's what we think it means. We think it means like farmers who take care of things. And again, if you're a farmer and you used to raise your own hay and it was your own animals, that's different. These, as you well know, it's a CAFO, confined animal feeding operation. So they're confined. They're not grazing. You know, they're in a cage till the minute they die. Like it's just that's and that's organic. Not to mention the roadkill and the expired meat, <laughs> the downed animals. What? No. Yeah. So there's a lot to learn. I'm also, there's a YouTube channel and I'm really going to pump a lot on the YouTube because, you know, with the Kickstarter and stuff and even our conversation, you want to be positive. I mean, I'm sure you can see that. Like, I, I, I'm not a negative person. I, I think, I think it's really great. I think we're about to turn the page and figure out a better way. And I have no interest in taking down big ag. You know, I don't want to be killed. I, I just think we can have an alternative. I think we can share the marketplace with an alternative. Everyone should have a right to that. 
And there are meat companies. There's like organic fertilizer companies that make organic, I mean, vegan versions of their products. But if 99% of your products are meat, I'm sorry, vegans do not accept <laughs> the, the stripped down version from the, you know, we're not buying tofu from Oscar Mayer. No, thank you. Cause we just, it's about ethics. It's not just about taking this little sliver out of your, their, their time and taking our little vegan fertilizer and walking away. The whole, the whole operation needs to be honestly just not animal based if it's gonna be organic, in my opinion. I'm gonna let that be the last word. Erin Riley from Cabbage Hill Animal Free Fertilizer Company. We're gonna have all your links uh, in our show notes. I'm gonna be sharing you on Instagram with my account, Best. We're gonna try and get people to at least ask questions wherever they go and think twice about some of these uh, purchases that we thought we were doing the right thing with. Thank you for joining us on Veggie Best. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. So, so what did you think of Aaron? You know, I know a lot of us are going to have loads of questions after listening to Aaron and letting a lot of what she said sink in. I know we're going to want to learn a lot more. There is a way to do that. And I would suggest that the easiest way is to start following Aaron Riley on uh, on Instagram at Cabbage Hill Fertilizer. Cabbage Hill Fertilizer, very easy to find on on Instagram. And you can find her through following my Instagram as well at Veg Your Best. And not only not only will that give you a chance to learn more about Erin's mission to bring transparency in fertilizers, you're going to get a lot of just beautiful tips and ideas and of course, her expertise about gardening. You will also get a chance to support Erin's Kickstarter campaign when it takes off on November 11th of this year, 11-11. And you can help support Erin even if you are not a gardener, even if you aren't prepared to contribute financially. You can support Erin just by asking questions and thinking and sharing her work with others. The links for Erin Riley and Cabbage Hill Animal Free Fertilizer are in the show notes. And I hope you'll let some of what you heard today sink in because it's a good reminder that we're never done learning. No one is a smug vegan who knows it all. We are all in a process of learning how to do our best. And until next week, I hope you'll get out there and veg your best. Veg Your Best podcast production, music, and editing by Charlie Weinshank. Thanks, Charlie. Before you go, it would mean so much to me and the Veg Your Best team if you would hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, or share with someone you think might be interested. Something about algorithms, it helps bump us up a little in the rankings, and that's the best way to help others find the podcast and for us to find our audience. So until next week, make it easy and veg your best. <laughs>